so hello everyone uh welcome to the first episode of the lyrics podcast browsing security i'm super excited to welcome today our first guest brett johnson how are you doing today brett i am good how are you doing i'm doing fine all right so uh we have a lot to discuss uh, about what lyrics does what do you think about browser security and uh, the zillion other interesting topics uh so just before we start I want to provide some background on one we started this broadcast and actually why we started lyrics uh so lyrics is a user first browser security company who help organizations to secure and manage their number one application the browser today most organizations are pretty much powered by by the browser or browser powered uh, those organizations lack sufficient visibility and control and eventually the browser is the number one black box we want to bring the visibility governance security uh, just to turn their number one workspace into the most secure one so they can just go on and enjoy all those SaaS applications and web applications securely um, Brett I'll be happy if you can introduce yourself to our audience sure uh, my name is Brett Johnson the how to start let's start at the beginning so the united states secret service called me the original internet godfather now how did i get that title well 39 felonies because 38 wasn't enough i was placed on the united states most wanted list i escaped from prison yes yes i did and if that weren't enough I also built and ran the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was a precursor of today's darknet and darknet markets. It laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels operate today. Those 39 felonies that I just mentioned, those had to do with refining modern financial cybercrime as we know it. Now, needless to say, that does get one sent to prison, deservedly so, and usually the story ends there. But I was very fortunate um, through the help of my sister, my wife, and then finally the FBI I was given the opportunity to turn my life around. I took it. Uh, today, I am a cybersecurity person. I um, I speak across the planet. I'm an ambassador for AARP. I was the first chief criminal officer in the world. Um, I work hard every single day to protect businesses and consumers from that type of attacker that I used to be. That's amazing. Thank you very much for being with us today, Brett. Uh, I'd like to start with a warm-up uh, question. Which browser do you use and why? Which browser do I use? I use I use Edge, Opera, and Chrome. Uh, Edge more than anything right now. Why? Because it's it's there and it's easy to use. <laughs> Interesting. Is there anything about your attacker mindset that made you pick Edge? Yeah, uh, the I think the perception for Edge is that it's a little bit more secure than. Um, than Chrome is. Now that doesn't really mean anything, as you know. It's just that that perception. And as we know, the perception of truth is is often not the truth. I couldn't agree more about that. Um, by the way, we do see a lot of edge users. So I, I actually it's a very interesting topic because no one really knows how many browser users are there. Because uh, every computer got edge, got Chrome, people got different profiles. A lot of people have several browsers today, um, so it is it is interesting. So you recommend both Edge, uh, Chrome, and Opera. You know, I, there you go saying recommend. <laughs> I, I'm not going to recommend. I'm going to say that hey, we we have to use a browser. So you know, pick one. I'm not sure that one is any better than the other at the end of the day. So that just leads us. First to the first topic about browser security, what are the main risks and threats? You said it doesn't really matter which browser you use because maybe internet access is the thing that's really interesting. Um, so what in your point of view are the main attack vectors, risks, threats today for organizations and consumers alike? 
you know, it's we, we hear a lot of security companies that are out there and they, they talk about zero day attacks. They talk about unknown vulnerabilities. And let's be honest, a lot of those security companies are trying to sell a product. The truth of the matter is, is that over 90% of every single attack begins with a known exploit. That's the issue. It's not the stuff that we don't know about. It's the stuff we do know about that we're not addressing that causes a problem. Now, when, when you're a criminal, like I used to be, you're looking for the easiest access that gives you the largest return on that access. You're not looking for complicated ways of attack. You're looking for the easiest access point. And let's be honest, one of the easiest access points that's out there is the browser. A lot of people don't really consider or think about the security of the browser itself. You know, when we get when we get a text message that looks like it comes from a financial institution, we're immediately questioning that. Is that a smishing attack? Or, or if we get an email, we're, we're immediately questioning, is this, is this a phishing attack? You know, is this really my bank that's sending that? But we really overlook the browser. But, and that, that's a huge problem because there's a lot of attacks that happen via that browser. You've got, uh, you've got Unicode domains, so you've got uh, browser hijacking, you've got phishing campaigns, you've got all these things that can happen via the browser, and people really just kind of overlook that. They don't consider the security of the browser. So when we're talking about those types of attack vectors, what I worry about is phishing attacks. You know, 80%, 80 of every single breach begins with a phishing attack. Now, why is that? Well, why would I spend years potentially trying to brute force my way past an industrial proof firewall when the only thing I need to do is get someone to click on a link? And it gives me the exact same access, saves, saves me time, effort, and cash at the end of the day. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about is how can a criminal gain access easily without spending a lot of money, without taking a lot of time. And, and a lot of that, that answer right now are these social engineering attacks. And as a social engineer, you're looking for that easiest method. And, and honestly, the browser right now is one of the easiest ways to gain access. And, you, we've, we've on, and I'm sorry to keep talking about this, but on the criminal side, you've got cybercrime as a service now. So you've got these vendors, these criminal marketplaces that are developing sophisticated tools or sophisticated types of attacks and marketing those types of attacks toward unsophisticated players. And that's a really important thing to consider because most of the cyber criminals that are out there are not sophisticated. They are not computer geniuses. They are not quote unquote hackers. They're just very good social engineers. So if you're, if you're developing or giving these types of social engineers a more sophisticated type of tool, you're doing a lot of damage. And, and what I'm alluding to there is this, this movement of stealing the, the tokens from that browser session. So a criminal can steal the token from that session, inject it into their own browser, come in and take over accounts and do a lot of damage within that environment. Um, that, that's, that's a lot of the ways that, uh, that, that crime's happening and the movement that's going toward right now. So that's very interesting. You actually refer to those hackers. First of all, they are nothing like we imagine. Or um, <laughs> you referred before this call about how security vendors uh, use FUD to fuel their right. business. Right. So you mean that most hackers are the opposite of that? They're business people. They they operationalize. Uh, they try to scale their business. Actually, they are a proper startup themselves. They just find a way, illegal way, to create revenue, and they just play on that ticket and they try to make it as simple as possible. 
Yeah, I, I understand it's a business, you know, and, and I understand that there are, you know, we've got over 8,500 security companies out there. And unfortunately, there's a, there's a good number of, not everyone, but there's a good number of security companies that have decided that the best way to sell their product is to paint online attackers as computer geniuses, as ghosts in the systems. And you'll see this, you'll see them dressed in, you'll see they'll, they'll paint the, the cyber criminal as in the shadows with the hoodie on, maybe a smoke machine in the back, things like that. That's not the way cybercrime operates. It, most attackers are not sophisticated. Now, the, the problem is you don't need a lot of sophisticated attackers in a cybercrime type of environment because a cyber a, a group of cyber criminals, we are open source. We share and exchange information. We also, and when I say we, I, I talk about me as a former criminal, but we're also very good about training unsophisticated players or attackers on how to commit these types of crimes. So someone that wants to come in and defraud a company or take over an account or something like that, they don't have to understand the security of the company. They don't have to understand their operational security, how to remain anonymous, anything else like that. They can buy a tutorial. They can take live instruction classes. The products and services tend to be off the shelf, so you don't have to know how to develop them or anything else like that, that you're trained on how to use them. The sophistication these days, and I mentioned that earlier to you, um, when I was a criminal, the sophistication was in the individual, that specific criminal. You had to know every single aspect of every single thing that you were doing. These days, the sophistication is not in that individual. The sophistication is in the platform itself. The platform tends to do everything for those criminals and criminals these days are just basically plug and play. You know, take one out, you plug another one in, it keeps working just fine. Um, so that that's that tends to be the way things are right now. That's super interesting. It reminds me of a time that I was researching an attack. I was actually a researcher at Checkpoint, and we found this malware in a, a campaign that was uh, using some sort of a, an early version of a business email compromise, okay. and that malware was undetected by any vendor by VirusTotal. We are pretty confident that we caught this APT. Eventually, it was uh, just a scammer. It's, it was something like a Nigerian print scam. And the malware is so poorly configured. It was a, just a tool that you can download from GitHub or from many deep web forum that was so improperly configured that it was just overlooked by all the AV engines. Uh, so that was just a, a lesson that I learned about uh, evaluating what's needed in order to compromise an enterprise. Well, I think that you, you know, you made a, a very, you, you said a really interesting word there, overlooked. You know, criminals are looking for those targets or those attack vectors that are overlooked. You know, uh, right now, a lot of people look at text messages. They look at emails. They look at things like that. What they don't look at is that browser. And meanwhile, there's criminals out there that are absolutely developing tools to take advantage of that. You've got these reverse proxy attacks like Evil Proxy, which is a man-in-the-middle attack that is designed to steal the token of that browser session. Comes in, steals the token, criminal comes back in, injects the token into his browser, goes into the account, does whatever he wants to. And, and we're seeing those types of attacks across every single vertical that's out there. Um, a rule of thumb, if you have a business that has a product or service that makes money, a criminal will make money off that same product or service. And you need to be aware of that. It's it, There's no such thing as there being a vertical out there that is not profitable for a criminal. It's those overlooked verticals and those attack vectors like the browser, things like that, that creates a lot of the problem that's out there. 
But you mentioned something very interesting, evil proxy or a many in the middle attacks between users and applications. I would like you to, uh, if you can, go a bit deeper into that. Is that mean sure, that so. all those identity, all all those identity management tools, single sign-ons, MFAs, does it mean that they are not bulletproof? They are not bulletproof. So that's one of the issues too. You know, we, we've got a lot of good security tools that are out there. And unfortunately, there, there's a there's a perception that a lot of these tools are, hey, they're, they're silver bullets. They're bulletproof. You don't have to worry about anything else. Now, multi-factor authentication is a good tool. That's all it is. It's a tool used by itself. It can be overcome. And it's not difficult to do that. So you have to use a variety of tools in conjunction to create this approach to security. Um, I think that's a lot of the issue is, is you know, we, we, we tend to latch on to the idea that this one thing will solve our entire problem. And meanwhile, criminals, criminals are not looking for difficult ways to attack. They're looking for the easiest way to attack. And if you think about it, what's easier than to get you to click on a link and go to a website that's not the website or to have malware that hijacks the browser or to fish you out on a phishing campaign and you think you're going to your financial institution, but instead you're going to a Unicode domain that looks exactly, that the, the website address looks exactly like your bank, except maybe there's not a dot above an I. Now, are you going to notice there's not a dot above an I? No, no, you're not. So but, that's, but that's a lot of the issue. I understand that, but but let's go even a bit deeper. Eventually, an attacker, I come from offensive background myself. Okay. I come from a, a red teaming background. I, I know what it feels like. And eventually, you just you look at the fence and you look for the shortest part of it, the one you can easily jump above. Sure. Does, does uh, uh, would you say that at the moment, the fence is much shorter with regard to authentication identities than other a, a, a aspects of the organization, or is it the same? Is MFA and SSO enough? in risk uh, uh, reduction uh, uh, context, or is there a need for something else beyond that? MFA is not enough. It's absolutely not enough. All right. It's, uh, and you're right, that authentication, that that part of the fence is much shorter. And there's a variety of reasons for that. If you, if you think about MFA, a, a large adoption rate is about 12%. All right. About 12%. So the other 88%, they're not even doing MFA. But MFA is not that silver bullet. It is easy enough to, to bypass, to overcome, to, to, to steal a token and to not even worry about MFA. So you're, you're right in saying that as far as that protection, that fence, that authentication is not very high. I mean, there's the perception that it is, but it's just really not. And you absolutely have to have these other things in place in order to be more secure. You 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 must have that. And and to your point, and, and to what I was saying, that going going to that twelve percent adoption rate for MFA, it goes into this idea of friction. You know, a lot of companies out there they don't want to force things onto people because it it makes the user experience a little bit more complicated. It takes the user a little bit longer to log in or something like that. And and they're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want a lot of friction. You want the, the most frictionless type of experience that you can get, but you want to be secure. That's the issue. Now, you can have zero friction all day long by not having any security in place whatsoever, <laughs> but you'd be an idiot to do that. I couldn't agree more. So the, this is something that comes up a lot with regard to browser security. Eventually, this is where people are at. And uh, you can also always raise the bar. 
you can work without cookies or cache. You can just have no uh, fingerprints. You can just use SSO for everything and uh, onboard any application. Eventually, if it slows the business, eventually you see businesses prioritize productivity, especially in the coming year where productivity is the main concern for a lot of organizations. They need to prove uh, uh, relevance, to be like to earn money, to grow, etc. Uh, so that brings me in a way to the $1 million question or the $1 million fine question. Uh, who's the blame? Is it the browser or the user? No, it's it's the user. It's the user. Uh, and I, I don't, I hesitate to use the word blame. Uh, the, the, the issue is, is that users really just overlook that browser and criminals are looking for, for those avenues that individuals or, or people are overlooking. That's what we look for. If you're overlooking something, that gives me a potential entry point at that at that at that time. Um, so, the, you know, the browsers you're you're looking at those developers that are that are trying to come up with a product that has zero friction that people can go to where they they want to go. So, I don't really blame the developers on that, but the users. It's interesting. So, it, it's if you think about it, in order for me to defraud you either as an individual or as an organization, I have to get you to trust me. That's what's important. For a criminal to, to get you to give them information, access, data, or cash, that criminal has to establish a degree of trust with that potential victim. So how is trust established in an online environment? Well, trust is established through a combination of technology, tools, and then finally social engineering. So technology, think about that. That's your hardware. We inherently trust our cell phones or laptops or desktop computers, but it's not just the hardware. It's the software. We trust that software. We think that everything's going to be okay. We trust the websites we go to. We don't understand, though, that criminals use a variety of tools to manipulate that technology. They use things like spoofed phone calls so that you don't see the phone number that they're coming from or that they're, they're texting from. You see the phone number of their financial institution or the FBI or something like that. They use SOX5 proxies so that they may be located in Ghana or Nigeria or Florida, and they can make it appear that they're in South America, New York, Canada, wherever they want to make it appear. They use stolen identities as a tool to build trust. They use malware or phishing links or, or Unicode domains in order to trick people, tricking being a, a way of de developing trust, in order to trick people to go to a website that looks exactly like where they think they're going, all right? So that tends to lay a base level of trust. It just opens the door. At that point, typically, we see how good of a con man, a liar, or a social engineer that, that criminal is in manipulating that person into giving up that information, access, data, or cash. So it all boils down to trust. You know, there's, there's that, that key phrase these days of zero trust. And that, that, that means a lot because if you're not, if, if a criminal can't establish trust with that victim, that potential victim, that criminal is not going to get anything. The problem is, is that you take a Unicode domain, you're not going to notice a human being is not good enough to catch that. A human being typically doesn't know when, when something has been hijacked. They just go with it because it looks the same. It feels the same. They don't, or, or you know, you've got a man in the middle attack, like I mentioned earlier with, with evil proxy. They don't know that that's going on. If they don't know that's going on, how do you protect against that? So you have to, you really have to take that human being out of the equation. You know, your, your point is who do you blame? I don't blame the victims. 
So I hesitate to use the word blame, but the onus, unfortunately, is on a user that simply doesn't have the tools or the ability or the knowledge to protect themselves. And because of that, you have to have some sort of security in place that kind of removes that human error from the equation. And that's one of the things that, that your company is very good about with the Layer X. But, but, but that brings me to something else. When you talk about regular people, consumers, they're accountable to, to their actions. Um, if you just give away your, your credit card number to someone else, eventually there is um, an only a limit uh, extent to which uh, the world will help you. But sure. if you're an employee in an, in an enterprise, that that's different. Your CISO doesn't want you to do some things, but you still do them. So there is a difference, and that difference also comes with regard to how much you trust the web, uh, other people. They said it in some countries where the culture is very disciplined. Attackers are using or spoofing the managers because you will never uh, question the judgment of your, your, your manager. When the manager says, bring me your email credentials, in some countries, you'll just hand them over including the MFA and everything else. So how would you re relate to the difference with, between regular people and businesses where eventually the employee does the default, but it is the enterprise that suffers uh, millions or tens of millions of dollars in fines and losses and IP reputation, et cetera? Well, I, again, I will, um, I'll, I'll reiterate that I, I don't blame the victim. And I understand what you're saying about there is a difference between someone at their house that absolutely has no ability, knowledge, experience, or protocol to follow with security, all right? There's absolutely that difference between that individual and an individual in a work environment where they do have a protocol. They are supposedly, they're getting some, some training, there's compliance issues, there's everything else in place to help make sure that that environment is secure. And I agree with you that the, the responsibility is more on that person than that individual at the house, all right? To that point, criminals are very good about making sure that someone is stepping outside of those protocols, that someone is not acting rationally or logically, that they're acting more emotionally. You'll mm -hmm. see uh, like a business email compromise, we're absolutely moving toward that point where you're using uh, deep fake video and deep fake audio to manipulate that employee into doing what you want them to do and into getting them to react more emotionally than logically or rationally. All right. Now, of course, the issue comes with, you know, the, the company, we've trained you, we've told you there's a protocol in place that you're not supposed to do this and you've done it anyway. And yeah, while the employee is at fault for that, the company, the CISO, is the one that gets to experience the real blame of that issue. Um, to me, the, the, the thing is, is that you have to understand that, that humans have their place. You're not going to remove the human completely from that equation. So what I said before about this idea of you need security in place because human beings are going to make mistakes, period. That's going to happen. The, uh, the, 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 the ways that I will attack you are so low-key and overlooked that most people would never notice that at all, all right? As one CISO once, yeah, one CISO once told me that I, I asked him, what is the number one uh, browser threat for you? He said it sits 12 inches away from the screen. It does. It does. And, and again, I, I, I don't like to, to 
to blame the the that that victim at the at the terminal. And I think that we I, I don't think you should blame that victim, but I think that that you need to understand that human beings are fallible. That's the issue. They're fallible. You you need to make sure that you've got these these systems in place, knowing that a human being at some point is going to make that mistake. And if you look at at all these breaches that have happened over the past five to ten years, those breaches are typically the 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 compromised point is that human being. That human being somewhere has messed up. And a lot of the times it's been they've clicked on that link, they've they've allowed access, they've done something that has has been very overlooked that they shouldn't have done and they've done anyway. So you have to you have to have those security things, services and products in place that anticipates that type of mistake. And when it happens, it's taken care of. If not, I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. The person at the terminal makes the error. But if a, if a company understands that a human being is going to be fallible and they don't put those services in place, knowing that that mistake is going to happen, who's ultimately at fault? Well, I would argue that the company is because they should have known that, hey, human beings are not perfect. They make mistakes. Lord knows I've got a whole history of mistakes. So I think that's what you have to consider right there. I couldn't agree more. And eventually you see that even security people fall. Like if even, even security responders, when you're tired and you don't have enough time, uh, eventually there is a reason why some people are better at social engineering than, than others. This is their expertise. Um, Look, I, I, I'm basically the, the, the father of modern cybercrime, all right? I, I've done it all across the board. And I will tell you, I get scammed today. I make mistakes today. There is no one that's perfect. There is no one that cannot be compromised at the end of the day. And you, we, we have to accept that. Management has to accept that. CISOs have to accept that. And they need to prepare for that. I really like this approach. So eventually, uh, when you talk about that, it means that browser security should accompany the user and help the user avoid from making mistakes because it is inevitable that in some situations, um, the user will, be, will do something that may cause some risk, even unintentionally. And all reports, by the way, justify that. Uh, all reports about insider threats say that the vast majority, overwhelming majority of insider threats events actually uh, a mistake. None, like very little employees do that on purpose. I agree. I mean, it, it's it's not. You do have some insiders. Let's be honest. You've got some insiders there, but but a lot. You know, ninety nine plus percent. It's just a mistake. That's all it is. And and you mistakes are going to happen. We know that already. But you add an attacker in the mix that helps those mistakes take place. And you've got a lot of problems at that point in time. So as I said, you need to make sure that you've got that backbone of security in place that anticipates those human errors because it's going to happen. That brings me to the next topic about trends. What led us here that uh, made browser security suddenly appear? Is the browser any different than other platforms such as email, endpoints, mobiles? And will it get better or worse? Are the existing well, trends about... <laughs> it's going to get worse. <laughs> you know, I, I gave, uh, I, I, I post all kinds of stuff on LinkedIn and I gave my predictions for this year. And my predictions for this year is the same as last year, only worse. And if you want to know my predictions for next year, my predictions for next year will be the same as this year, only worse. That's that tends to be what happens. It it's a little bit more complicated than that. You we've got a um, 
we've got a lot of stuff that's happening on the criminal side of things. All right. So it's not just the good guys that read white papers. It's not just the good guys that pay attention to the security tools and products and trends that we talk about every single day. One of the things that they've been paying attention to is this idea that things are going to go passwordless. You know, we're with passwords. If you think about it, 80% of the population, they use the same or similar logins and passwords across multiple websites. That's one of these that's one of these main areas of attacks. You know, if you can if you can do credential stuffing, you're very profitable all of a sudden. They've been paying attention. The bad guys have been paying attention to that. Hey, they're going to get rid of passwords. So now you're seeing this movement of stealing the tokens of those browser sessions. Steal the token, inject it into your own browser on the criminal side. You come into the account, do a lot of damage. That's one of the trends that we're seeing right now, and that's absolutely happening. And what's what's really making it worse, I spoke before, 98 99% of the criminals that are out there are not sophisticated. They really don't understand anything at all about any dynamic of the crime that they're committing, but they don't need to because the platform does it for them. Well, we're seeing the platform right now that's developing these sophisticated tools and services and marketing them toward those unsophisticated types of attackers. You know, you're seeing bot marketplaces like Genesis Marketplace. You're seeing reverse proxy attacks like uh, Evil Proxy, for example. You're seeing these things that that steal the token, se the the browser session tokens, and then walk the criminal through on how to inject it into their browser so they can come in and do whatever they want to in those accounts or in those types of environments. So that's one of the trends that you're seeing. The other trend has to do a lot with the conflicts that we're seeing overseas right now between the Ukraine and Russia. You're seeing a lot of those criminals that are in the, both those countries that they don't want to fight. They don't want to go to war. So they're leaving those areas. At the same time, you're seeing the the definition of the dark web itself is changing. You know, it used to be that a lot of criminal activity, criminals would go to the dark web via the Tor browser and they'd get their tools, products, services, identities, and whatnot. And they'd, then they'd come back up to the surface web and they'd commit whatever crime that they were going to commit. The dark web's got a lot of disruption going on right now. You've got a lot of DDoS attacks that are taking place. At the same time, the, the communication channels on the dark web, on the criminal side, had become kind of centralized. You had this thing called Dread, which was basically the Reddit of the dark web. Well, Dread's been shut down for months now because of DDoS attacks. And because of that, at the same time, you've had this thing called Telegram that's really ramped up. Telegram is frictionless. It's very easy to use. It's a phone app. It's a browser. It's a browser part that you can use. So you see a lot of criminals now that start their criminal careers on Telegram. And it, it has typically been just the newbies, just the unexperienced, unskilled attackers that have been on Telegram. But because of what's going on with the dark web, we're seeing more sophisticated attackers that are now going to Telegram. Add in now that you've got these Russian-speaking and, and Ukrainian attackers that on the criminal side, those non-English-speaking forums, criminal forums, are drying up. And now you're seeing a kind of a renaissance on the English-speaking cybercrime channels, and you're seeing a lot of these non-English speakers that are coming into those English forums and delivering a lot of skill all of a sudden. So you're, you're seeing almost a renaissance of criminal activity online. 
of of new not new players but new sophisticated tools techniques and services and the the education level of cyber criminals overall is going to continue to increase uh that that creates a huge issue especially when you've got these entry points for cybercrime that are overlooked you know we we talked about um people expect attacks through text messages they expect attacks through emails no one really pays attention to the browser itself and it, it, it's not just the browser that's the problem you you look at from a criminal point of view you're looking for the things that no one else is really looking at how can i gain access how can I profit by this thing that no one's paying attention to? And everyone, if you're online, you're using a browser, and that becomes a lot of the problem. So, so help me now, Brett. Uh, if I if I were to try and become a junior hacker, let's say I want to change my profession and become a junior hacker, but I'm a, I'm a no code person. I don't know how to program, <laughs> uh, and I don't have the time and the skills to learn it. But I want to 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 make my fortune by sure. crime. Uh, and I want to steal from enterprises. So without getting into specific examples, what would be the approach of someone trying to take this path in, in order to become like a zero to hero? Uh, what are the quickest wins? Where are the places they go and find uh, a, a solutions? And what are the leading threat commodities out there that users sure, can so use, whether they are in Darknet or GitHub even? I mean, GitHub, GitHub is a nice, <laughs> a nice and it's, and it's cheap. repository for criminals, and it's cheap. Um, so say, say you've got a criminal that's out there. He's, uh, a, a potential criminal, someone who's wanting to steal money. All right. To profit. They've read a newspaper article or some, ad, some article online that talks about the profit that's in cybercrime. So they've decided that, Hey, I want to be this junior hacker. So what, where does it start? Well, it starts by going to telegram. So you mm -hmm. go to Telegram, and fortunately, you can do keyword searches. You don't have to know where you're going. You can just start to search for stuff. You can search for cybercrime or account takeovers or stolen credit cards or bots or any number of things like that. So you, you find the environment that you want to go to, one of these big channels that's got several thousand members on Telegram. So you just go in there and you start hanging out. And you start paying attention to what people are talking about. And you, then you start figuring out, okay, what do I want to do? How do I want to profit? Do I want to do business email compromise? Do I want to deploy ransomware? Do I want to do phishing attacks? And you pick whatever you want to do. Now, you don't know how to do that. But guess what? You don't need to know how to do that because you're in an environment that's open source. There are people who actually talk to you in channel and start training you on how to commit that specific crime. If that's not fast enough for you, that's okay. You can buy a tutorial for as low as $10 that will walk you through how to commit one specific type of fraud. If so you just don't want to, the tutorial... Yeah, just to understand, people will help me because even though they are criminals, they are kind. And even if they're not kind, they will do it very cheaply. I'll get a service. It's like don't any other economy. It, don't think of it as kind, all right? Think of it as on the criminal side, we understand that by educating everyone, everyone at the end of the day becomes more profitable. If everyone mm -hmm. has a higher level of education, if everyone's on the same page, if everyone shares and exchanges information about targets, tools, and techniques, then everyone becomes more profitable at the end of the day. If you think about it, and I've spoken about this several times, 
For cybercrime to be successful, three things have to take place. You have to gather data, you have to commit the crime, and then you have to cash it out. The problem is, is that one specific attacker cannot do all three things. They can do one thing, sometimes two. So you have to rely on people who are good in those areas where you are not. So you have to network with other criminals. And that's what Telegram does. It trains you how to do it. It allows it allows you to network with other criminals who are good in those areas where you aren't, and you all work together to profit at the end of the day. So you it raises take... something. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Just I I have to ask. It it raises a question for me. When the victim is an enterprise, based on what you say, what proportion of uh, stolen items, access, identities, devices are being abused by the guy who compromised them, and how many of those are actually being sold to someone else? Is there like a marketplace for stolen stolen goods from enterprises? Like uh, this is a uh, an email account of a C level executive sure. of this company, or do they uh, steal data and only then monetize on the data itself? You you typically steal data, but you you certainly have the the idea like take business email compromise. You're you're looking for that that specific victim. All right, is mm -hmm. what you're doing. So depending on the attacker and the the crime that's going to be committed will determine whether you're simply stealing data and then making the most of the data that you're you know parsing through the data and making the most of those targets or if you're looking for that specific victim that's out there all right and you have both and most of the time it's it's data that's stolen and then you see what data is coming through and you you start looking at the targets from that point but there you certainly have spear phishing campaigns stuff like that that's extremely successful a, a spear phishing campaign tends to be much more successful than just a regular phishing campaign because you're targeting that attack toward that specific user. All right, so it's much more successful to do that. The the thing on the on the on the criminal side, think of it as the gold rush of the 1890s in California. All right, you had a lot of people that were prospecting for gold, but the people who became rich were not those who were out there digging for gold. It was those that were selling the tools that the criminal that the, those miners were using cybercrime is really no different you've got people that will steal the data that will that will steal the account credentials and things like that and then they will resell them they don't need to know how to use them they just let somebody else try to use it and those mm -hmm. people are much more profitable than the criminals tend to be that are using those stolen identities and credentials and things like that that's super interesting so eventually it will take me a couple of a month maybe just a few years and I'll be, I'll be on my own feet. I'll, I'll have my own uh, thread <laughs> business, basically. You know, it's, it's actually a lot shorter than that. Like I said, you can come in, uh, you can take a tutorial, um, read that and follow that step by step. And most of the time you can start to profit. If you, if you don't want to do the tutorial, there are live instruction classes. You can pay anywhere from 500 to several thousand dollars. And you've got a master cyber criminal that will literally take you by the virtual hand and will walk you through how to commit this one compromise or this breach or this crime online. And, and it tends to be very profitable at that point. Um, like I said, the, the, the sophistication these days is not in the criminal themselves. It's in the platform. And because of that, we see a lot of profit potential on the criminal side. Things are, you don't have to be this master criminal or this, you know, this genius to commit and be profitable at crime anymore. So, so let's look at the other side of the coin. Uh, there are about a zillion different cybersecurity companies. I didn't count all of them, but I think it's about a zillion. And many of them are talking about the, the most high-end attacks and like the zero days and the APT attacks. Eventually, honestly, 
do you think that they balance between the items or do you think that those basic attacks and basic threats are just overlooked? They're, they're absolutely overlooked. And, and the reason they're overlooked is you've got a lot of companies that are out there that try to uh, sell by FUD fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you instill that in a, in a potential customer, the chances of them buying from you is much higher at that point. And when, when really you just need to be truthful. If we were truthful about things, I think that would be a much better environment. All right. And the truth is, is that, you know, I don't care if you're that, that lone cyber criminal that has no skill whatsoever, or if you're a nation state attacker, 90% plus of every single attack uses known exploits. And if you doubt that, the only thing you need to do is look at the two largest cyber attacks in history, NotPetya and SolarWinds. Both of those, especially NotPetya, uses known exploits across the, the spectrum. It uses Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance, uh, Mimikatz. It looks for outward-facing SMBs. It uh, uses a faked Microsoft certificate. It uses all these chained known exploits to go in and cause over $50 billion worth of damage. And that's a nation-state attack by the Sandworm Group, who I like to label as the top-tier hacking group on the planet. So it's not... It's not zero-day attacks. Yeah, they're out there. They're out there. But if you're looking for a zero-day to profit, I will tell you, I had I had access to two zero-days in my 20-year history as a cyber criminal, and I was top of the food chain. I had access to two zero-days. One, only one, led to profit for me. If you're a criminal waiting on a zero-day or an unknown vulnerability to profit, you are going to starve to death. A criminal Why is that? does not because it, it, they're not that common. Why? Why would I look for this exotic, unique way to attack when you've got all these easier, cheaper, cheaper, cheaper ways to attack somebody? You know, a, a criminal does not does not like to. We don't. I don't like. When I was committing crime, I didn't like to spend a lot of money on my attacks. I didn't like to take a lot of time. I didn't like to use exotic attack methods that might fail at the end of the day. Why would I, I, I mentioned that before, why would I try to brute force pass something if I can just fish somebody out? If I can get you to click on a link and I can do that, why would I ever try to use something more complicated than that? As a criminal, I'm looking for the easiest access that gives the largest return on that criminal investment. I'm looking for that. That's what I want to do. Okay, so now I'll, I'll face you with a tough uh, challenge. Uh, if you have to choose whether to try and compromise the device or take control over an email account, which one will you take if you can only pick one? I'll take over the email account. Why is that? Because that's an easier attack vector for me. All right. Uh, so it's just a I'm business. You're just, you're just destroying all the romance of hackers. Then uh, next uh, thing you'll say that there are no black hoodies, that it's just a business that tries to make the best operation to get uh, the most reliable and credible uh, outcome. Yeah, I didn't buy my first black hoodie until I became a legal individual. All right, that, that, that's the truth. Now, I, I was thinking about getting, you know, I'm in the shadows right now. I was thinking about getting a fog machine to come in too, but, you know, I've not done that yet. It's a business. You're you're absolutely right. It's a business. And and think about it from a business point of view. Why would I put a lot of investment into something that I don't know will work when there's an entire slew of stuff that does work that's far cheaper? 
All right, I'm looking for the easiest way to do things that gives me the most profit at the end of the day. All right, it, it is absolutely a business. It's not, it's nothing personal. It's business. And I understand. Business, I agree. Uh, Brett, if that's okay with you, I'd like to go. Uh, we just recently released an annual process security report, actually the first one in the industry. Now, the anomaly as a practitioner was also always uh, looking for resources. And there were always resources about malware and uh, network and IoT and whatsoever, and no resources about web security. Eventually, if there was a malicious website and it was taken down and they all go down within like seconds to a few hours or days, there is no footprint. Like no one knows what happened over there. So it's like an unknown unknown. So um, I was too curious. We just made one ourselves. I'd like to go over a few of uh, the highlights of what we found in the report and have your mindset about them. We have about like uh, five, maybe six. So first thing that we discovered, which was kind of surprising, that on average, about one of every two browsers, like 50% of all browsers in the enterprise environment are misconfigured. The, the leading misconfigurations that we found were, first of all, the use of personal Chrome profiles at work. And that sounds a bit bizarre, but I'll explain. When you use a corporate application in your personal Chrome profile, it can synchronize your passwords to your home device. It can actually synchronize your application to your own personal LastPass, it got breached. So there are a lot of configuration issues with that. Um, even like it can lead eventually to, to the migration of extensions from another device to the work device. It's a headache. Uh, second one is that the users don't update the browser, which is kind of surprising because updating the browser is like the easiest task in the world. Like whenever you have time to go and make yourself a cup of coffee, you can just relaunch the browser. It will go exactly back to the state it was before. And for some reason, about half of users are not doing it in time. And interestingly, you were talking about zero days and one days and known exploits. Um, like a zero day for Chrome, I think the market price is about a few million dollars, but after a few months, it's being disclosed, Google just releases the POC because it assumes that if you want to stay secure, you'll, you'll just patch your browser. And there are users don't update the browser for over half a year. So what do you think about that? Well, well, I mean, I'm, I'm still using Internet Explorer 7.0. <laughs> no, hey, think of, think of it like this. Um, an update is a broadcast to every single criminal on the planet telling them which door to knock on. It's a very, very good thing updates are because criminals know that people don't apply updates i mean we know that we know that that's what happens with with equifax all these other companies that have been breached through problems with updates it's not surprising that you've got an individual that would not update their browser it's not because that creates this thing called friction again it takes time to update that browser. Yeah, I may go to the restroom or get a drink or whatever and end up day while I do that, but ah, I'll do it later. And that that idea of I'll do it later or it's not that important or I'm just overlooking it creates that entire entryway for criminals to come in, that door to knock on. Um, it's That's not surprising to me. It's not. It's also not surprising. You mentioned it of you know this the other reports have mentioned all these other things iot's and everything else but they've never mentioned the browser <laughs> it's because that's that's that overlooked avenue that criminals are typically looking for it's so you can't secure surprising. things that you don't know about basically well i mean yeah you're just not paying attention and it's those things that you're not paying attention to that people like i used to be are looking at hey how can we profit by that how can we use that to our advantage 
And let's be honest, everyone, if you're online, you're using a browser. That's the problem. And, and as we've said before, human beings make errors. That's to be expected. If you're not expecting that and prepared for that, you are going to get in a lot of trouble. Excellent. So a second, second figure or statistics that we come up, uh, three of every 10 SaaS applications in the enterprise, that's like 30%, are uh, connected to non-corporate identities. In simple words, uh, 30% of applications are personal uh, Facebooks, Gmails, G Drive, even uh, OneDrives, things that people use for themselves. And they, they can upload data, download data from those applications. It can lead to malware, pretty much everything. And there is no security tool that I know of, at least, that can secure those applications besides blocking them in the firewall. That no one actually right. does. Right. So is that a threat? Is that a risk for you? You know, and and people who have listened to me over the years, they, they know that I have said that, uh, you know, your network is only as strong as the weakest device or accounts or person that's accessing it, you know, and that that's that's the problem. This BYOD thing and uh, human beings are going to be human beings. Let's let's be honest. I mean, I've got a home office. I get bored at work sometimes. I'm sure you get bored at work sometimes. So you know, we we want to do something to take our minds off of that 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 routine and what do we do we we go to amazon we go to facebook we go to our linkedin page and we we waste some time we go to twitter you know we go to all these other places that creates a huge issue and you you mentioned just a second ago i mean it's it's not only that but it's also connecting our outside accounts our non-work accounts to our work environments wow that's that's pretty bad if you're if you're a company and you don't think that that's going on, what are you doing over there? It's absolutely going on. If you're not preparing for that, you know, as you said, yeah, you can block them at the firewall. Nobody does it, but something has to be done because that allows a criminal to come in. I mean, think about all the, uh, the fraud that happens via social media platforms. Think mm -hmm. about the fraud that happens, uh, you know, Google Drive, uh, Microsoft uh, 365, things like that. I mean, that, those are absolute entryways to to for a criminal to come in and if you're not securing those things if you're not if you're not blocking them out if you're not using uh, um, a secure type browser to make sure that those things don't happen you're absolutely going to get eaten alive at the end of the day but but that a bit confuses me a bit a few years ago uh, let's say 10 years ago it was legitimate to block gmail at work Right. And today it's not considered legitimate anymore. What has changed? Right. Why today it's a, uh, it's a big a big fuss to block the use of personal applications at work? Well, I think that uh, specifically Gmail, it's because most companies use Gmail as the email provider. I think is is a lot of the reason right there. But more than that, it's it's this this it's this philosophy that I, I think that. I think that companies understand that employees are going to do more than just their work on their work devices or their desktops or things like that. The problem is, is that when that happens, you're opening yourself up for those types of attacks. It, it, it really weakens your entire network when you're allowing that type of access. If you don't have, if you don't know from a company point of view, from a CISO point of view, if you don't know who's going where and what they're looking at, then if you don't have that data, 
how do you know how to protect yourself? How do you know what's secure and what's not? You don't. So you, you absolutely have to have that visibility and the ability to, to cut those things off. But, but would an attacker think about using someone's personal Gmail as an entry point to the organization? Would that pop up in their mind? Always, always. You know, if, I, if, I'm, looking for, uh, if I'm looking for a way to, um, to spearfish someone, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to LinkedIn, I'm finding that potential target on LinkedIn, then I'm pulling a background check on that target, I'm finding all the personal information, I'm checking that target's Facebook, I'm getting their email addresses, and then I'm going to start spearfishing them out. I'm going to get their credentials for their personal email, for their business email, and then I'm going to continue to collect all of that data that I possibly can. And then I'm going to try to determine at that point, is the personal email the best avenue or is it the actual business email? So it's just like having another unlocked door in the organization, basically. The, the more, for a, from, a, from a criminal point of view, the more data that you have, the more successful that you're going to be. It's really no different on the good guy side, right? The more mm -hmm. data that you have, the more secure you're going to be. Criminals are no different. The more data that you have, the more likely you are to be successful at crime as well. Interesting. And who got the upper hand in web security? Is it the attacker or the defender? That's the attacker. Attacker. Well, and, and I say that because it's not always guys, like that. Like in intrusion, in, in system intrusion, the defender has the upper hand because they know the environment better. I agree. I agree. I, I do agree with that. But you know, the, the problem is, is that typically we tend to be reactive on the good guy side, whereas the criminals are proactive. We tend to respond to them. They don't really respond to us most of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's that's so, the problem. Until we get to be where we're more proactive than they are, we're not going to be winning this battle. Interesting. That leads me to the next two points. Um, another idea that we found is that attackers today adopt a lot of evasive attack techniques that neither email security nor network security tools detect. So we're talking about malware being sent zipped malware of a Google Drive, which is like right. the cheapest commodity in the world and will go uh, into every network about like 99% of the time, will go into the network without any restrictions. Uh, similarly, we see attackers using Cloudflare to protect their phishing sites because most or almost all security vendors use sandboxes and bots to crawl the phishing sites. But Cloudflare is actually stronger than those bots and sandboxes. So we actually, one time we found the phishing site up in the air, alive for two months and no security vendor was able to, to catch it. <laughs> and we see a gigantic increase and in incline in the usage of those advanced techniques. By the way, they're kind of cheap, like, like opening a, a Google account and having a, right. a Google Drive, et cetera. So what do you think about this uh, trend? Is it something that's a common only for like skiddies or is it something that also a nation state would use to attack a compromise in an enterprise? It's, it's absolutely something a nation state would use as well. I mean, this this goes back to what I was saying. It, it doesn't matter if you're that single unskilled attacker that knows nothing or you're that sandworm group or the fancy bear group. You're, you're looking for the easiest access at the end of the day, and you're going to use those known exploits, those known vulnerabilities. You may use some zero days as well, but you're going to you're going to rely heavily on what's known, those that known attack surface that's out there. Um you know, you mentioned it. It's these things are not expensive. Cloudflare is not horribly expensive. A Google account is very cheap, and and those are sophisticated types of tools that are being used to commit crime. Uh, you know, I mentioned Evil Proxy before that reverse proxy attack that steals the cookies from the browser from that session. Uh, 
Evil Proxy has built-in bot mitigation. So it senses if you're if 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 the defender has the bots that are in place and it it reacts accordingly to that. You're seeing more and more of this and that's not expensive, but it is sophisticated. And and as you see those types of attackers that become more educated in those types of environments, it's going to become more problematic. Interesting. Um, yeah, I agree about that. It's eventually super effective. It does the job pretty well. And uh, I, I'm kind of surprised to, to hear that the evasion techniques are a commodity as well. Right. So uh, fourth item out of five is that we actually tested a lot of attacks that are, we took a, a large chunk of one days, like attacks that are already out there and someone has detected them. So not, not that sophisticated. And we tested them versus the different browsers and different network security uh, products. Without going into details, the best browser only caught one third. So the block list only had one of every three known attacks. And with the enterprise security tools, the best performing product had, um, well, that's, that's actually interesting. Only half of attacks went through. But okay. among the other half that were not going through, a majority fell due to evasion by the attacker and not because the vendor caught it. But we wanted to be fair. If you're if using some sort of a network security tool means uh, that attackers will just avoid attacking you, that means that you're secure enough. But it didn't mean, it didn't mean that they caught the attack. They actually did, did, caught, uh, did catch only like 6% of attacks and the remaining 44 just fell on evasion. So in the bottom line, among one uh, like one day attacks, things that are already out there, the best enterprise security tool caught one of two, and the best browser caught one of three. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> so so one of two, a coin flip, a mm -hmm. coin flip, and then the other one is thirty three percent. Yeah, that's, that's pretty scary when you think about it. That 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 goes in again to what I what I what we just said about. You know, who is winning this game? Is it the attacker or is it the defender? Well, the attacker is winning this. They absolutely are winning this. You know, it, 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 it forces the defender to be reactive to whatever that attacker is doing. And that's, that's a problem. We can't continue on like that if we're looking to be successful about fighting this problem. Uh, I agree. And the fifth point, actually, you were talking about it quite, quite a lot in this call, uh, is that most browser risks may lead to identity theft. Eventually, most attacks target identity. Uh, we saw only a handful of malware attack and mostly things that try to steal identities or are a staging point on a way to get to your identity. So deploying a malicious browser extension in order to steal identities and passwords, uh, phishing credentials, things like that. And very little attacks were actually ransomware or malware that uh, was deployed using the browser. It makes sense. If you think about financial cybercrime, financial cybercrime typically relies on identity. All right. And, and so I'm looking to profit, put cash in pockets at the end of the day. The way I'm going to do that is compromising someone's identity. If I'm looking to gain access to your environment, the easy way for me to do that is to use someone who's already in your environment who has access. And so one of the avenues to do that is to steal or compromise that person's identity. Um, it, that's not surprising to me at all. Uh, the problem is, and, and you know, you mentioned identity and authentication. I mean, it's if you're relying in your environment about authenticating a user's identity, and, and that's your primary security method, you are at a point of failure. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's a that's a huge problem mm-hmm Interesting. Uh, Brett, we're actually close to the end of our session. It's a uh, time flies when you have a good time. I have one <laughs> or two last questions to discuss with you. Sure. Uh, in Lyrics, we picked uh, an approach to build uh, an enterprise browser extension because we believe that it's better to address the existing browsers in the organization. Uh, what would you say are the pros and cons of using this approach relatively to just replace the browser and take a new browser in, in, instead that has uh, um, just add capabilities to it, uh, kill or put to sleep the old browser with all these uh, issues and problems. What are the pros and cons of each approach? Well, you know, the, the idea of getting a user to use a new browser, not really going to happen. And, and the reason I say that is I look at these statistics that are across the board. You know, I look at, uh, you know, I talk about people putting credit freezes in place in order to protect their identity. In the United States, Credit freezes are free. They've been free for five years, and only 12% of the population have a credit freeze in place. So you don't really get wow. people that that do these types of things. Uh, multi-factor, I mentioned that before, that a high adoption rate, again, 12%. You don't get people to do that. Now, you, now you're trying to say, well, we've got a brand new browser. We want you to use that instead of whatever you've, you're used to using. You're probably mm-hmm. not going to get that. You have to train someone on how to use that browser, everything else. It's much to me, it the the it makes much better sense to say, okay, this user is used to this, this company is used to this. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to have an extension into that that makes that specific browser secure. You know, that's you're not asking you to change anything. We're simply asking you to add a tool that makes it secure. That makes much better sense to me than building a whole new browser and trying to get people to adopt that because I'll tell you, they're not going to. Mm-hmm. So eventually it's not just security, it's a mixture of everything, user experience, productivity, um, infrastructure. So it, it's it's never just one item. Interesting. Uh, and uh, actually one last uh, thing for this discussion, anything on the to- off the top of your head, advices, CISOs may hear this and get scared. What would be your one, two, three advices for the uh, low-budget CISO that wants to have better browser security in his organization? My my advice is don't listen to the cybersecurity pillow talk that's out there. And what, what I mean by that is the, the vendors who try to sell you a product based on FUD, who they're trying to sow fear and uncertainty and doubt in order to get you to buy that product, you need to make sure that whoever's talking to you is telling you the truth, all right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's number one. Number two is don't panic. Understand that it's not those unknown vulnerabilities or those exotic attacks that the threat landscape, the, most, of, most of that threat landscape that's out there is stuff that's already known about. So it, it boils down to practicing good cybersecurity hygiene. And you can do this. You can do it. It's not, I understand that you look at that threat landscape, you you hear all the breaches, all the security companies that are talking, everything else, and it becomes overwhelming. Take a pause, take a breath, step back. I promise you, you can do this. You can do this. It, it's not going to be that overwhelming if you just take a pause and consider things all of a sudden, all right? Um, understand that the human being is always the weak link always. And that human being is going to make errors. So if you understand that, then you can anticipate that and you can put the products and services in place to make sure that when that happens, 
that that human error is mitigated at that point in time. All right. I'll, uh, I'll finish up by saying that what I say on my show all the time, at, at the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. Ray Johnson, thank you very, very much. It was an interesting talk and a pleasure as always to hear you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.